Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, A True Leader. Amen. Well, as I keep saying today, we are talking about leadership and what a great topic it is for Father's Day. So one of the greatest needs in our generation is this need for true and godly leaders. And wow, do we see this need. We see the need for true and godly leaders, right, in our nation, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our churches, especially in our families. And so all true leaders have these certain characteristics these characteristics that that mark their lives, these characteristics that set them apart um, from the crowd. So what are the characteristics? Well, as I said, as we go verse by verse through chapter four, we're gonna pull out six. There's more, but we only have 45 minutes. And so we're gonna pull out six characteristics of a true leader, and of course, that's based on the life and ministry of the apostle Paul. And so let's dig in. Chapter four, verse one, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul starts off this portion of his letter by saying, let a man consider us. Okay, who's us? And so remember, you always have to interpret every verse in the scriptures within its context. The verses that go before, the verses that go after. And so when you look at this verse in its context to define who us is, all you have to do is go back a few verses. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. He says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether, here it is, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Peter. And so in verse 1, when Paul says, Let a man so consider us, He's talking about Paul and Apollos and Peter. Generally speaking, he's talking about all the leaders, the apostles of the church. Now, he says, I want you, believers of the church of Corinth, to consider us as servants. That's his first word there in verse 1. I want you to consider us as servants. So why does Paul have to remind this church that they should look at him as a servant? Well, the reason why, again, if you were with us in the beginning uh, few chapter, uh, few weeks of this um, study, you'll remember that the believers at the church of Corinth, they were dividing over certain personalities. Remember this? They were, they were dividing over their favorite minister or their favorite pastor or their favorite Bible teacher. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And so what they would do is that they would separate from one another and they would rally around these men and they would get all puffed up about their association with these men and they were actually idolizing man. And so Paul has to say, Corinthians, stop putting me and Apollos and Peter on pedestals. He says in verse one, we're just servants. We're servants. Don't exalt us. Exalt Jesus. What does the word servant mean? Well, in the Greek, it means an under rower of a ship. It's a different word than what is normally used in the New Testament. This word for servant literally means an under rower of a ship. 
And so in ancient times, these various maritime civilizations that lived around the Mediterranean Sea, well, they built warships that were called triremes. So triremes were these massive ancient warships, and on each side of the hull, they had three rows of oars. And so what, what happened is you have these slaves, many slaves that manned these oars. The slaves all sat in rows, again, three rows for each side of the hull of the ship. And every slave had an oar in his hand. Often he was chained to his seat because he was a slave. And then all these slaves would row in unison uh, with the direction of their superior officer. So Paul says, hey, I'm just an under rower. In other words, I'm not the guys on the top. I'm the guys on the bottom. I'm like a slave for Christ. You know, I'm there with my, my, my oar and I'm rowing at the command of my master and commander, Jesus Christ. And so he wants to let everybody know that, hey, I'm going to use this example used by the ancient Phoenicians, used by the ancient Greeks, used by the ancient Romans, these triremes, these ships. I want to kind of put a word picture in everybody's mind so they'll stop exalting me like I'm all that. Hey, when you think about me and Apollos and Peter and the apostles, just think of us as under rowers. And so that leads you to your first point. If you're taking notes, we're talking about six qualities of a true servant. Well, point number one is a true, a true leader, a true leader is a servant, a servant. Now, we said in the introduction of this message that, man, there is such a need for true godly leaders, right? In our nation, in our communities, our workplaces, our churches, our families. And the reason why it's such a need is because everybody's all confused about what is a leader. The confusion is simply this. Sometimes somebody will get a title and they'll think that's what qualifies me to be a leader. So because I have this title, then what I can do is I have the authority now to kind of order people around and tell them what I want them to do. That is not leadership, that is lordship. Look at what Jesus has to say about this. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, and now starting with the word yet and ending at the comma, I want everybody to say this together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, yet it shall not be so among you. Okay, who's talking right there? Jesus, right? All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If you are a born again Christian, he's your king. He's your ultimate authority. All right, he just gave everybody a command. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. Don't follow the pattern of the Gentiles, so to speak. Now, in other words, the unsaved people of the world who think that they have a title so they can lord their authority over other people, bark out orders, yell, intimidate, cause people to do what they, no, Jesus said, yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what? Your servant. How many of you guys have ever worked for a boss who got a title and thought he or she was all that? I remember in one 
place that I worked a long time ago, and the company was growing, and so um, the, the managers were promoting young men into positions that these young men were not ready for. And these young men all of a sudden had a title. And so what did they do? They began to lord their authority over other people. And it always causes problems. The world is filled with men who lord their authority over their wives and over their kids and over their employees. And so, again, what, what did they do? Because they had the title, they, they intimidate or try to. They yell, right? They, they lord this authority now, if you talk privately with their wives or their kids or their employees, here's what you find out. The wives, the kids, the employees have little to no respect for that guy. And the reason why, he's not leading them, he's lording over them. But if you got a guy and he chooses, I'm, I'm gonna serve the people that I lead, right? I'm gonna serve my wife. I'm gonna serve my kids. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve the employees at work that I'm over. Well, that wife, those kids, those employees, they have great love and respect usually for that guy. And so guys, here, here's all you gotta do. And again, we're all leaders, so this is for everybody, okay? Here's all we have to do. All we have to do is emulate Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Just be a servant. Guys, start being a servant to your wives. Ladies, serve your husbands. Parents, serve your kids. Tomorrow at work, just be, you're the boss. Sure, you're the boss, but serve your employees. Take the time to, to, to listen to them. Take the time to care about them. Take the time, ask yourself, okay, this certain employee, what can I do to make this guy, this lady, more successful in their career? Take that position. And you watch, watch, watch how God will so bless your leadership. Paul says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and, look at verse one, stewards of the mysteries of God. The word mysteries of God, I'm not gonna spend time on this. He's referring to the progressive revelation of God, specifically through the apostles, written down in the New Testament. Okay, so God's revealed word in the new covenant, that's the mysteries of God. He says, so he goes, consider us as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in a steward that one be found faithful. All right, so what's a steward? Well, when you look at the word in the Greek, it means simply a manager of an estate. Notice it doesn't say an owner of an estate because the steward was simply a servant. He wasn't the owner. A steward was somebody who managed the finances and the staff of the master's household. The steward was the one, you know, who made sure that the food got purchased and he kind of oversaw the preparation of the meals. He made sure that everything in that estate, everything in that household ran smoothly for the owner of that estate, the owner of that household. And so what's the most important quality of a steward? Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what's the word? So there's your second point. Second characteristic of a true leader, not only is a true leader a servant, the true leader is also faithful, faithful. 
Now, when it comes to great leaders, the primary question is not how intelligent they are, right? If you're getting ready to hire somebody at work, you're looking for a real leader, okay? The first question is not how intelligent or competent they are. The first question is not how uh, articulate they are. It certainly isn't how good looking they are or how fun they are to be around. The primary question when you're looking for a leader is, is that guy, is that lady faithful? Because it's required of a steward that a man be faithful. Look at what Jesus had to say about this. He said, who then is that faithful and wise steward, the manager of the household, whom his master will make ruler over his household? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so, what's the word? Doing, doing. By the way, if you're getting ready to hire somebody, don't hire a thinker, hire a doer. That was for free, okay. So, <laughs> blessed is that servant whom, the fat, whom his master will find so doing, actively doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. And I loved last week, I gotta tell you that um, I, I loved the message last week. I loved the top. If you weren't here, got to go back, um, download it on your podcast, listen to it online. It was all about the judgment seat of Christ. And last week, we learned that one day all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to be judged for our sins. We're going to be judged for our works, specifically the quality of our works, the works that God foreordained for you before he created the world. Think about that for a second. Before God created the world, he knew your name, right? And he foreordained certain works for you while you're living in this life to walk in. Those Christians who are faithful to walk in the works that God foreordained for them, when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ, if they did those works with the right motive, it's like gold, silver, and precious stones. It passes through the fire of Christ's fiery judgment. And what happens after that, if they've been faithful, is that they will receive rewards. They're going to receive crowns. They're going to receive authority. And they're going to be able to reign with Christ in the kingdom age. If you're new to Calvary, poor St. Lucie, here's what you need to know about us. Here's what you need to know about millions of other churches and all Calvary chapels around the world. We are what theologians call pre-millennialists. What does that mean? That means that Jesus comes pre-before the millennial kingdom. And if you have been faithful to walk in the plan that God set out for you, then you will reign with Christ on this earth in his 1,000-year kingdom age. That's coming soon, right? We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't know the year, but that is coming. Hey, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies that Jesus, that, that the Messiah would come. Guess what? He came. Okay, so if all the prophecies concerning his first coming were literally fulfilled, why do we think that all the promises, and there's so many more, why do we think that all the promises concerning his second coming will somehow not be fulfilled? They will absolutely be fulfilled. And Jesus is not reigning, and we will not reign someday in heaven, in some ethereal, misty world. 
That's not the position that we hold. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he is coming back here to this earth and he will fulfill all the Old Testament promises that the son of David will rule and reign over Israel and over the whole world. And again, if you have been faithful to do what God has called you to do, then you will rule and reign with him. Is anybody looking forward to this at all, right? It's good news. It's really good news. We gotta get our eyes off of this life. This life, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow, 70 plus years, maybe, maybe not, but, but it's like a vapor, but forever is forever. So set yourself up for where you're gonna be for eternity. Start thinking about heaven. Start thinking about the kingdom. Start asking God on your knees and in, when you're spending time with him in his word, reveal to me your will. Show me what the works are that you foreordained for me before you created the world and help me by the power of your spirit to walk out that life because I don't want to suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Here's my point. Believers like you and I who are unfaithful to the Lord, believers like you and I who live for ourselves instead of living for Christ, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works will be like wood, hay, and stubble. They will be all burnt up. We will be saved by the blood of Jesus, thank God, but we will suffer loss. We will not reign with the Lord in the kingdom age. Don't let that be you. Don't come to me at the judgment seat of Christ and say, Pastor Mike, I didn't know this. Why didn't you tell me this? I'm telling you this right now. Get ready. Be ready for that time. It's coming. It's absolutely coming. Be faithful. Look at verse three. He says, but with me, and by the way, Paul was always being criticized by the churches that he started. We think of the apostle Paul right now and we think, man, the greatest Christian who ever lived in 2,000, in year, 2000 years, but they, they didn't have that same opinion about him in the first century. A lot of people thought he was a false apostle. And they criticized him a lot. So he says in verse three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And by the way, that's important, right? Self-judgment is important, but be very careful because sometimes we're too hard on ourselves and sometimes we're too easy on ourselves. Paul had a clear conscience. That's why he said in verse four, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet, I'm not justified by that. I'm not justified by the fact that I have a clear conscience. He says at the end of verse four, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, verse five, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. There it is again. There's hundreds of verses like this. He's coming. Till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light all the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. And so what happened was that Paul left Corinth, and after he left Corinth, remember everything started falling apart. After Paul left Corinth, he was there for a year and a half teaching the word of God to them. He left to start other churches. When he left, false leaders came in and they allowed the ancient Greek culture to seep in, infiltrate into the church. So now all of a sudden, it's not God's word that's being taught, it's human wisdom. 
Now all of a sudden, the main message is the self-centered philosophy of the world. Now it's all about eloquent speech, Greek orators, right? It's all about clever arguments and high-sounding rhetoric. And so while all this is going on, while Paul's away, the people in the church, their opinion of Paul, who taught them the word of God, is going down. The tide of opinion toward the apostle Paul is going down, and they begin to, um, to criticize him. They said, and I quote, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. That's what the church at Corinth said about Paul. Did you notice their priorities? It's all about man in the center and how well man can speak. And so Paul comes, they said, oh, his, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. And his speech is contemptible. In other words, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't speak like the well-polished or Greek orators that we're used to in this church. Now, how does Paul respond to their criticism? Look again at verse 3. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And that leads you to your third point. A true leader has thick skin. A true leader has very thick skin. Paul didn't allow their criticism to get to him. Now, how many people did I say earlier were leaders in this room? How many? Okay, all. So just know that when you step up and lead anything, you're going to be criticized. Just know that when you step up to lead anything, people are going to be upset at you. People are going to criticize your style of leadership. They're going to cr criticize the decisions that you make. Some people are going to gossip about you behind your back. Some will even have the audacity to try to usurp your position or your authority. Now, when that happens, not if that happens, but when that happens, because whenever you step up to lead anything, you're going to be criticized. Okay, so when that happens, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to take your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, um, and start reading in verse 3, and say out loud, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Develop thick skin as a leader. You're never going to make it as a leader unless you develop thick skin. Make sure that you have the mentality of Paul who said at the end of verse 4, he who judges me is the Lord. Have you guys ever been criticized for a stand that you took over something? People talk about you, right? They criticize you. They gossip about you. Okay, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. That's the mentality that you have. He who judges me is the Lord. Now, when's that gonna happen? It's gonna happen, as it says in verse five, at the judgment seat of Christ when Jesus comes and what does he do? He judges the counsels of our hearts. In other words, the person, the only person who can see into our hearts at the judgment seat of Christ 
He's going to judge the motive of our hearts. What was the reason you did what you did? And so leaders, that's everybody, here's, here's what you got to do. Make sure as you're going through life, for every decision that you make, make sure the question in your mind, the motive for that, for that um, decision that you're about to make, make sure the motive is not, how can I please people? That's not the motive. Your motive needs to be, how can I please the Lord? And then you have no worries about the judgment seat of Christ. Because the quality, the sword of your works are going to be good, are going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. Every decision you make, there's millions of decisions, depending on how long you've got left on this earth. There's millions of decisions that you're going to make. Okay, so for every decision, ask yourself the question, does this please Christ? And don't worry about other people. We spend so much time worrying about what other people think about us. Why do you guys do that? Why do I do that? Why do we sit at home and for hours rehearse it, nurse it, and curse it, and think about, worried about what everybody else thinks? Hey, it means so little what they think, and it means so much what the Lord thinks. So just obey the Lord, let the chips fall. It doesn't, doesn't matter what they say. And if they decide to separate from you, if they decide to stop hanging out with you, if they decide to start saying bad things about you on Facebook, who cares? When you stand before the Lord, you'll be so happy that you live for him and not people. Amen? Amen. All right. That's the mark of a true leader, thick skin. Pray for your pastor. I need thicker skin. All right, verse six. Now these things, brethren, verse six, I have figuratively transferred to myself. I'm gonna come back and explain figuratively transferred, okay? To myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Here's that theme again. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf one against the other. I'm a Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm a Peter, Right? Verse seven, for who makes you different from another? Now, by the way, let's just, this, this is a powerful verse, verse seven. So just stop for one second. And everybody, I want you to look at your neighbor. Look how different they are. Completely different than you. Okay, here's my question. It's okay to talk in church. So you, you, you answer back, okay? Who made you different from the person sitting next to you? God. Psalm 139, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he made you different. And that's Paul's point in verse 7. Who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Arrogant, self-centered, self-indulgent Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. Now, first of all, what in the world did Paul figuratively transfer to himself in Apollos to make sure that these people were not puffed up about them or exalting them? Well, the things that he figuratively transferred were the analogies that he's been using in the context of the whole letter so that they would not um, think of, about them as leaders above what is written so they would not exalt men, idolize men, okay? He used certain analogies. He says in chapter three, verse five, hey, we're just ministers. 
He figuratively transferred the idea of the leader in the church to just a minister. Chapter 3, verse 6, he says, we're just farmers, right? right? I, I, I plant Apollos waters, no big deal. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, we're just under rowers. I'm the guy with all the slaves above me. I'm the lowest servant of all. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just a steward. And so because the Corinthians were dividing over certain personalities and exalting these men, Paul says, stop doing that. Hey, we're just ministers, farmers, under rowers. We're just stewards. So that leads you to your fourth, fourth point, and that is a true leader is humble. Humble. Now, I love in verse 7, he says this. This is so powerful. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Corinthians, arrogant, boasting, all puffed up. And Paul says, because he wants to bring them down a notch or two, hey, could you guys just stop and think for a minute? What do you have that you did not receive? Ladies and gentlemen, everything that we have in life, right, our health, our intellect, our ability to work, our gifts, our talents, did you know that all of that comes from the Lord? What do you have that you did not receive? I, I normally don't do this, but I just, I want to give you guys an opportunity. It's okay to talk in church, right? I want you to go ahead and I want you to shout out some things that you're thankful for that God has given you. Just say it out loud. It doesn't matter if there's three or four at the same time. Just say it. Say it before the Lord. You're not saying it to me. Say it before the Lord. Thank him for those things. Right? I like air. Air is very important. Oxygen is so important. Did you know that oxygen comes from the Lord? Everything. Our eyesight. Our ability to taste all the different flavors at Kilwins. That comes from God our ability to hear, our ability to walk, everything. This is why some people, you know, they have this attitude about tithing. I'm not going to tithe. Why? I earned that money. I worked hard. Well, who in the world gave you the legs to get out of bed and get in the car and go to work? Right? Who gave you the eyesight to look at your computer eight hours a day and do whatever you do, right? The tithe is a principle that we follow to honor the Lord, to thank him, to recognize that he is the giver of good gifts. Isn't that what James says? James says up on your screen, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so if everything comes from the, from the Father, why do we glory in ourselves? Why do we boast about our accomplishments? Why do we look down our noses at people? Anybody. Why would you look down on anybody? Everything you have comes from God. When someone boasts about their accomplishments, it's kind of like a turtle who's boasting about sitting up on a fence post, right? If you're walking down the street 
Those of you who are new to Calvary, you're, you're thinking, man, that's awesome. Well, those of you who've been here for a while, you know this is like the 800th time I've used this illustration, but I love it so much. I love it so much. And so if you're walking down a, a path in the country and you see that, and you hear that turtle saying, look at me. Look how awesome I am. Check me out, right? If you want to humble the turtle, all you got to do is walk up to him, get in his face, and say, yes, but Mr. Turtle, how did you get up there? And he will have to admit, yes, someone grabbed me and picked me up and put me on the fence post. And so if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had help getting up there. And if you have accomplished anything in your life that has elevated you in the eyes of others, you need to understand you had help getting up there. You should give him glory and praise and honor for everything that he's done. He gets the praise. And some of you are being held back from positions of leadership because you're all arrogant and you're all proud and you're all puffed up about you and your accomplishments and you keep looking down your noses at others and God will not promote you in life unless you humble yourself and give him the glory. A true leader is humble. And now with incredible sarcasm, Paul was incredibly sarcastic here in verse eight. He's saying to the self-indulgent, self-centered, self-focused Corinthians who think that life is all about them and their prosperity. He says, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. Right? Ever since I left Corinth, you guys acting like you're kings. And indeed, I could wish you did reign. <laughs> we also might reign with you. Paul is saying to these people, who do you think you are, kings? What a joke. He says, I wish you were king so I could take a break from my hardship, so I could take a break from my suffering, so I could take a break from all the persecution I've been receiving, and so I could go down to Corinth and I could reign with you. See, the Corinthians were so puffed up. Paul resorts to sarcasm in verse 8, again, to try to bring them down a couple pegs. The church of Corinth were like the church of Laodicea. Those of you guys who know John's revelation, the revelation Jesus gave to John, you know what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea. Check it out. He said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. He says that to a church. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, right? It's all about this life. It's all about material prosperity. And Jesus says, and you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Of course, speaking spiritually. So Christians who are self-centered, Christians who are self-focused, Christians who are self-indulgent, they may think they're rich like kings, but actually they're making the Lord nauseated. But many of you, because I've watched your lives for 11 years, and I'm so encouraged and blessed by your lives, many of you who understand that God does not exist to serve you, you exist to serve God. Many of you who understand that the message of Christ is, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and I'm going to follow him. Many of you who understand that rejection and suffering might come along the way, but that's okay. I'm still going to live for the Lord. You're the real kings. 
like the apostles. Look at verse 9. This is fascinating. Paul says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, what's the next word? Last. Last. As men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle, very interesting word, to the world, both to angels and to men. And so the word spectacle there in the Greek is theatron. It means the theater. And so in ancient times, here's the idea here. People, you know, we like to go to Carmike and watch a movie. Well, in ancient times, in the first century Roman Empire, people like to go to the Colosseum of Rome. And they like to watch the gladiators fight. And not just in the Colosseum at Rome, but in amphitheaters all around the Roman Empire. They would like to they'd go down to those amphitheaters and they would watch the gladiators fight. Now, often, as the grand finale of the show, what they would do is they would force the condemned prisoners last to come out to the arena of the amphitheater. And those condemned prisoners would have to face either a gladiator or a wild beast. And people would sit up in the stands and they would watch the awful spectacle of a lion tearing a condemned prisoner to death or a gladiator knocking that person down with their sword. And Paul takes that analogy and he applies it to himself and to the other apostles. And he says in verse nine that we apostles, we come out last. We're condemned to death and we've been made a spectacle both to angels and to men. And many of you guys who are into apologetics, you understand that one of the biggest arguments that we have for the authenticity of Christianity is the lives and deaths of the apostles. Because all of them saved John. All of them went and died martyrs' deaths. Brutal, horrible martyrs' deaths. And all they had to do before someone cut off their head or crucified them upside down or threw them off the temple, all they had to do was say, we lied. We didn't really see Jesus alive from the dead. Please don't kill us. But every single one of them went to their deaths with this testimony on their lips. I saw Jesus alive after he had been dead. And they all suffered and they all died. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that Christianity is absolutely true. It's not some kind of fairy tale that we're following here. And so Paul says, man, we're a spectacle to men and of angels. And now with incredible irony, first he uses sarcasm in verse 8, now he's using irony in verse 10. He shows the difference between the self-indulgent Corinthians and the self-sacrificing apostles. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. But you're wise in Christ, right? Wise in your own eyes. We are weak, but you're so strong in your own eyes. You're distinguished, but we're dishonored. And now I believe three of the most fascinating, some of the most fascinating verses in all the Bible, 11 through 13. I want you to look at how these apostles suffered. Are you ready? Look at verse 11. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We're poorly clothed. We're beaten. We're homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. Paul says, I got to go get a job, make it tense, because you guys don't think I'm the real deal, so you won't send financial support. That's fine, he says. He says in verse 12, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. 
We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And I read those verses and I think, wow, wow. And then I think, compare that. Compare what the apostles often went through with the modern day prosperity preachers who live in exquisite mansions. I didn't say houses, mansions. Drive exquisite cars, fly around the world in multi-million dollar jets and live the life of the rich and famous. And then they have the audacity on TV to tell you, if you'll sow a seed into my ministry, then you'll be, you, you can be rich also. And millions of Americans, evangelicals, are buying into it. You know why? Because they don't know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. And so they're sending money so that these guys become more and more incredibly wealthy. And it's just the opposite of our apostles in the New Testament. I'm not dissing on anybody who may have some wealth in the bank. Abraham had a lot of money, a lot of wealth. He was a rich guy. I'm not saying anything about that at all. What I'm saying is that in the ministry, a lot of people are feeding themselves instead of feeding the flock, and they're getting rich off the ministry, and they're flying in multi-million dollar jets? What? Hey, dude, go get a, a seat back in the coach and fly like the rest of us, right? Why do you need a multi-million dollar jet to fly around the world? I won't even sit in first class. I would love to. And I, again, I don't diss anybody in here who sits in first class. I don't feel right because I think somebody from this church is going to walk in and they're going to see Pastor Mike sitting in first class and think, oh, must be nice, right? <laughs> so I get back in the coach with the rest of you guys. Man, we got to grow up. We got to wise up. The message of Christ is not about our health. It's not about our wealth. And it sure isn't about our material prosperity. The message of Christ is this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's your message, the true message. And it leads you to your fifth point. A true leader is willing to suffer rejection. Suffer rejection. This is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates true disciples and people who are just playing the game of church. Are you willing to suffer rejection? When Jesus said, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, um, everybody knew in that first century exactly what he was talking about. Here's what he wasn't saying. Here's the misinterpretation that's prevalent in our day to day, right? People think my cross, well, you know, my cross is the difficult job that I have. And so when I get up on Monday morning, I go to a job that I don't like, but I'm willing, Lord, to bear my cross. Wrong interpretation. Wrong application. Somebody has a nagging wife. Lord, huh, that's my cross, but if you want me to bear it, Lord, I'll stay with her. Wrong interpretation, wrong application. Some people think, with all due respect to, to those who have diseases or disabilities, they think that that's their cross. It's, it's not what Jesus is saying here. Everybody knew what he was saying in that culture because in the life of Christ, it's estimated that 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans. 
The Romans would line the streets with people on the cross. And so when Jesus said, cross, take up your cross, what he's saying is, be willing to suffer rejection, suffering, and death. If you're going to follow me, not everybody is going to like it. If you're going to be a leader for the Lord, you got to be willing to accept rejection from people, suffering if you have to go through it. And maybe, not now, but maybe in the future, actually, um, it was now. It happened a few days ago, tragically, in a church in South Carolina. But you may have to suffer death. Jesus says this. Here's your verse for the day that you can put up on your refrigerator. It'll make you feel good every morning. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't hear that on TV a lot, do you? You say, I'm not suffering persecution. Is there something wrong? Well, the promise is if you'll live godly, <laughs> godly, okay, then you'll suffer persecution. In other words, when you really get serious about following Jesus Christ, then what happens is that your friends, your neighbors, some of your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, they're not going to like it. Anybody experienced this before? They're not going to like it. So they're going to stop hanging out with you. They're going to stop talking to you. They're going to stop inviting you over for their party on the weekend. They're going to, as I said earlier, start saying mean things about you on Facebook or on Instagram. And the question is, will you tone it down when that happens? Or will you continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? And, by the way, in our culture today, if certain legislation is passed in the future, then guys like me who stand up and faithfully teach through the word of God, we may be sent to prison. Why? Because a lot of people in our culture, don't know if, don't know if you've noticed, they consider a lot of this as hate speech. Okay, when that happens, are you going to shrink from the suffering? Are you going to tone it down? Are preachers going to stop preaching the Bible and be politically correct so that they please people and not the Lord? No, I don't want wood, hay, and stubble. I want gold, silver, and precious stones. I want crowns to cast at the Lord's feet. And so our motivation is not what pleases people, not what's politically correct. Our motivation as Christians is what pleases Jesus Christ. And if you don't like it, sorry, we're going to live for the Lord. That's the attitude we got to have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a hero of the faith. Check out what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know who that is, Bonhoeffer? He was a German pastor during Nazi Germany. And he took a public stand against the Fuhrer principle. Right? This stupidity that Adolf Hitler's words were higher than the law of the land. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, got on the radio and spoke out against Adolf Hitler. That takes some guts. Mysteriously, somehow during his radio broadcast, it was cut off. I wonder how that happened. He spoke out against the euthanasia program of Germany. He spoke out against the persecution of the Jews. He spoke out against the compromise of the German church. The church wholesale in Germany followed after Adolf Hitler. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and he started the confessing church and they separated from that German church and they stood up for the word of God and what was right. And many of them were persecuted and Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
died a martyr's death. He was hung by the neck by the Nazis on April 9th, 1945, less than a month before the Germans surrendered to the Allies on May 7th, 1945. You know why he didn't shrink back from suffering? Because he knew that when Christ calls a man or a woman, he calls that person to come and die. If you've never read the book by Eric Metaxix uh, Bonhoeffer, you gotta get it. I read it two years ago. It's an awesome read. And so let's, let's finish up the chapter starting now in verse 14. We're gonna work our way down to the very end. Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you. Okay, he's been sarcastic. He's been really tough. He said, I'm not trying to shame you guys, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Verse 15, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you know, inference who don't really care about you, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul came, Paul founded this church, he led these people to Christ, he was their spiritual father, and as a father, he knew he had to give them tough truth, even though it may offend them. He says in verse 16, therefore I urge you, imitate me. And if you need someone to vouch for my character, verse 17, he says, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. He says, Timothy knows my private life. He knows my public life. He will vouch for my character. Verse 18, he says, some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Some of these false teachers in Corinth thought they would never have to face Paul. And then they see in verse 19, Paul says, but I will come to you shortly. I think that made some people nervous. And then he says, if the Lord wills, I will know, not the word, right? Not the high-sounding rhetoric, the Greek oratory, the clever arguments, the human wisdom. I don't care about any of that. I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the, what's the word in verse 19? Power. He's talking about Holy Spirit power. I'm gonna go down to Corinth, and I'm gonna see if the Holy Spirit's power is there. I'm going to go talk to some teachers in Corinth, and I'm going to see if they have the power of God on their life. He says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in a spirit of gentleness? And so the sixth and final quality of a true leader he says, I'm coming down to Corinth. I'm going to see if you guys have the power. So a true leader is endued with Holy Spirit power. Now, stay with me all the way to the end here, okay? Because this, right, this sixth point is the missing element for some of you. Some of you, all five up and running in your life. But six, there's a struggle. You're trying to be that leader in your own strength trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and with your own willpower be that leader that man of God that woman of God and can I say that that lasts for maybe a few days and you're going to get knocked right back down on your face because you cannot you cannot you cannot be the leader that God calls you to be in your own willpower you need his power check out what Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1-8 you want power he says you'll, you'll receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, notice the word upon in the Greek is the preposition E-P-I, epi. It's not E-N, it's not in. In other words, we don't receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in us. These were Christians. This is really not difficult to understand, okay? These were Christians that he was writing to, that he was talking to, Jesus was talking to here. Because they're Christians, they already had the Spirit inside of them. But now the Lord is saying there's something else. And by the way, you're not going to hear this in every church. There's something else. The Holy Spirit wants to come not just in you. He wants to come upon you. Some translators translate that that as he wants to fill you to overflow. That's maybe the missing element for some of you as leaders. You keep doing well and then you fall. Do well, fall. Doing well, fall. It's because you're doing it in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I get that? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Go to your closet. Surrender everything that you know to the Lord. Repent of every sin that you, that you can think about in your mind, in your life. And just say, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I need you to fill me. Fill me to overflowing. Empower me, God, to be that witness that you called me to be, that leader that you called me to be. And then there'll be a new dynamic in your life that'll set you apart from others. And when you walk around, people will say, that guy, that lady, they, they smell like Jesus. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www dot calvarypsl dot com and click on knowing christ